Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Clenzie and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. again everyone and welcome to the wonderful world of wine every week mark and myself talk about wine with you we scour the internet for interesting trends and topics in the wine world and we are joining you still socially distanced even after how many months has this been mark for too long too long <laughs> too long too long since we've been in the recording studio together recording a show but we're making it work and we're bringing the wonderful world of wine to you our listeners so this week we have some i, I think some interesting things from different corners of the wine world that uh that we haven't really spoken about in a while. And one of them is the, as you know, as things are still not necessarily reopening for in-person uh, events and things, that we've got uh, more of Instagram, I think, being important to wine brands. And people have had to figure out how to do their events on a different platform. And we've seen a lot of uh, Zoom wine education and uh, Instagram Live that has become very, very popular. So have you sat in on any either wine classes from remote learning kind of a standpoint, Mark, or any of these events that, these, that this article is talking about? I have not, Kim, and I, I must admit, I actually had to research what Instagram Live was, Kim, because like you, I have a business page on Instagram. I use it a lot, but I've never watched any live things. Or I always see them popping up on my screen, but I, I had to actually research how to use it. And I was curious, did you ever watch any Instagram Live videos or I've, do them? I've watched a few things um, more from like people who I know who are trying to showcase their businesses or trying to show some activities that they're doing. But none of, I don't really follow a lot of like influencers. <laughs> so yeah, none of the, probably none of the things that have a lot of production dollars behind them, shall we say. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with Instagram. We talked a few times about it, correct? Where, who you're following and what they're posting, mm -hmm. what's the content? How is it really getting us? One of the things I love about Instagram is that you can get things from all over the world and, and, see people vineyards and wineries and breweries or whatever and now this is another platform they're going live so you can watch them so this article is basically telling you what it's about and some tips on how to be successful in doing it mm -hmm. and, and i think it's good for the consumer to sort of see that back end of it you know as as the person who is consuming the media and not producing the media I think it's important for us to be savvy and smart um, observers of these things and to, and to know like when, when we're being sold to and when we're being pitched to. So I kind of liked that spin on this, that yes, it was in, information for people who are producing Instagram Live events, but it also kind of gives us, the viewers, um, a little bit of like an inside scoop on what might really be going on. And I think one of the big takeaways from this was that something like this really should be more about entertainment and less about selling. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of Instagram wine content really sort of falls down. 
that often it's very boring because it's just pictures of bottles or pictures of glasses or, hey, this is my vineyard. And, you know, you see a few vineyards and they kind of all start looking alike. So it's like finding something that's engaging and gives some entertainment value, but then also some information. It seems like it's a few and far between when it comes to uh, these sorts of wine events. Yeah, and it's the same guidance that everyone is giving for anything you're doing virtual now on the, on the internet with wine. You have to have a passion to do this, to draw people's attention. It's not about right now, you know, really pushing to sell things to people. It's more to get your passion out there to people. And I think that's what Instagram does for me. It shows people's passion in the wine world. Right. And then that's the kind of thing that can then, you know, translate into interest for the consumer. And then maybe it'll be, you know, in your head, like, oh, you know, if I'm going to, somewhere down the line, plan a trip somewhere. And you're like, oh, I I remember being really engaged by this particular event. Oh, maybe I want to go visit them. Or if you see a bottle in a restaurant or in a store, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I really think I want to try that. So, I mean, it's hard with wine because so much of it is the flavor of the wine, right? So, I mean, there it's, yes, stories about the vineyard are one thing, but at the end of the day, it's, it's about how that wine tastes. And, you know, unless you're doing an organized tasting that involves the actual bottles and the actual wine that people are talking about in their video, there's not a whole lot of tasting actually going on. So we have to find other ways of engaging our consumers that don't involve tasting the wine. So I, I think that's harder than, say, photographers or other, other industries that are more visual than ours is because ours is all taste. So you talk about engaging, Kim. Both of us are wine geeks and I don't think we've done anything with Instagram Live. So is that one of the tips they gave was you have to reach out and tell people you're having these events before mm-hmm. you do the event to get some... Right. some Otherwise, nobody's going to show up. <laughs> ...back and get people on it, right? So I... Right. So I have not really seen a lot of stuff promoted to me to get me to go to Instagram to watch. Have, have you seen anything promotion that not, way? Not to Instagram. No. Yeah, no I, Facebook. Got, or, yeah, a lot of Facebook events, a lot of Zoom, you know, Zoom group kind. So, you know, folks who I know in and around Boston who do similar wine education events to myself are doing Zoom events, are doing some things that maybe there are a few people together, but they're very distanced. Um, or Facebook events, but not not a whole lot of Instagram live. Maybe I'm just the wrong generation. <laughs> I'm yeah. a little bit older than the the typical Instagram user and other types of social media. I just felt kind of hurt because I thought I knew Instagram, and then I saw this whole thing about these live videos. And well, Instagram live what... is, re- is is on the newer side when it comes to to these platforms. I think it's only about a year old, so. It is I always see it pop up. Yeah. I, I think one of the good tips I thought they gave was to remember that you can go on Instagram at any time of day or night and it's five o'clock somewhere. So in right. other parts of the world, it, you, you might get up in the morning and they're drinking wine already, right? So, and I like that about Instagram because I can go on my feed and, and see wa- people drinking wine all over the world all t- different times of the day. So I, I yeah. would assume they're doing that with the live videos too. So that was, that, that was, was something that I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me that I hadn't thought of that like, Oh yeah. You know, if it's not seven o'clock here, but it's seven o'clock somewhere else. And yeah, it gives you like this whole new, I don't say whole new world, but 
yeah, look, there's an Instagram live event going on in South Africa, or there's something going on in New Zealand, or there's something going on in Georgia or UK. So there's, there's stuff all over the place. So yeah, that's just, it, you know, a tip to, to know there's something out there to find if you're cooped up lately and still want to keep up to date with the wine world, you can find something on Instagram live. So You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. To find more information on our show, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, we have an article from Decanter Magazine. I'm excited for our listeners to hear Kim's view on this because... It's all about how bees are important in the vineyard. And for those of you who don't know, Kim is a beekeeper. Bee, is that the right term, Kim? Beekeeper, beekeeper. bee, yeah. bee lover, beekeeper. bee, bee person. Um, <laughs> but I've never seen an article, Kim, relating bees to vineyards or winemaking. I know. So, I've seen articles about bats and I've seen articles about, you know, other bugs. Yeah, all <laughs> sorts of other creatures uh, that are kept in and around vineyards to um, help with the pests. But yeah, I've never really seen anything about bees either. And the obvious reason for that is because grapevines don't require honeybees for pollination. So that sometimes you see articles about, you know, oh, it's if honeybees are dying off, then these are all the fruits and vegetables that we will lose because we don't have honeybees anymore. But grapes are not one of those. Grapes self-pollinate, so they have uh, male and female flowers on the same plant, and just the way that the wind blows them around, they all just kind of pollinate themselves. So they don't need honeybees, but honeybees are still important to other things in a vineyard. Um, And this is especially important to vineyards that are trying to have less human intervention. So we're talking more organic vineyards or places that are trying not to rely on pesticides and especially herbicides. Because what the bees do is they help pollinate a lot of the cover crops that then help the soil, which the health of the soil then translates into healthier grapevines. At least that's what I got out of it. Yeah. And my question to you, and I, you, I think you already answered it, this is only honeybees we're talking about that uh, no, benefits? No, other, um, other flying insects are also pollinators. So even those ones that we really sort of hate, like wasps and yellow jackets, they're mean and they sting you and they hurt, but they do serve a purpose. Um, they're also pollinators, just like a lot of the other native bees that we have around here in Massachusetts, bumblebees and sweat and all these other little critters. Um, they don't produce honey, so they're not as valuable to humans for honey production, but they still are um, very, very important pollinators. So all those critters are really very valuable in a farming setting. If you're trying to have a healthy environment that's not just um, a monoculture. So if you've got other things other than grapes growing in your vineyard, you know, maybe you have mustard as a cover green, or you have other plants in the area, herbs and stuff like that, then those pollinators are going to be very important to, to that, um, that ecosystem. So this article was talking about how there's crowdfunding out there to uh, see what the benefits of the bees are in, in, a, in a vineyard. And Kim, I wrote down a question for you as far as you talked about 
how this is good for the ecosystem in the in the vineyard and vineyard health. Do you have you ever seen where an organic or a biodynamic winery has promoted that they use bees? Because the whole thing behind biodynamics is it's a the living system. It's about everything taking care of each each other, not having to use the pesticides and whatever. Right. It's a natural occurring thing happening in the vineyard. But I've never seen an organic or a biodynamic winery mention anything about bees. I think so, I've seen like a little stamp on the back of some bottles that say like bee friendly. But really? yeah, I was going to ask you that. I, there's not, I, I really feel like I've seen that. But, you know, As again, a, like because grapevines don't need bees, I think that there's less emphasis on bees being part of that the importance of that ecosystem. I mean, there's so many marketing, I feel, terms being used like on a label for a wine, you know, the sheep thing where the sheep are eating the weeds, mm-hmm. there's the salmon thing, salmon safe. No one's really, I thought, taking advantage of saying bees. Well, if I think you're... One, of the, one of the problems would be that, no pun intended, so say you have, I don't know, 20 acres of grapevine. Um, because the bees aren't using those flowers. If you have an apiary smack in the middle of that, your bees are going to starve because there isn't going to be a whole lot for them to eat because they don't use the grapes and your cover crops probably aren't enough for them to have enough uh, resources throughout the rest of the year because bees make honey from like, they're, they're active from like March to November, at least around here, all year long in warmer places like California. And they can only fly about three to five miles. So they need to have consistent food sources. And that's one of the problems with honeybees and monoculture is that there's just not enough food for them to eat if only one particular type of crop is planted for miles and miles and miles. So you're a bee lover. Would you support a winery knowing if they involve bees in some way? Would it change your opinion on the wine? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because it would give me more of a feeling of overall they're paying attention to the environment. I mean, I'm sure that some places would just use it as kind of a marketing angle. But if the winery was legitimately concerned about the impact, the environmental impact of what they were doing and the way that they manage their land, then I would think that this would be just another component of doing the right thing for the area around them. Now, you were telling me your personal production on honey this year was crazy, right? It was like mm-hmm. a very good bee year, I guess you'd it's say. It's a fantastic year. So I'm curious if a vineyard has bees and they're, they're producing a lot of honey, if that correlates in any way with a good harvest of the grape. I wonder if there's anyone, any winery out there that does honey and mm-hmm. grows grapes and they can correlate if it's a good honey season that it ends up be a good harvest in any way. Would I don't that, think You think so. that would correlate? No? No, because the bees don't use the grapes. They don't use the flowers. But if, um, they, had a, if they had a healthy cover crop? If it was just like a, he- a, a healthy year for the plants me- means a healthy year for the bees, regardless of what the plants are. Maybe. I mean, I've been noticing around here that it's a great year for, um, for berries because we've got blueberries and blackberries and you know, we've got a farm down the street that has apple trees. Um, and I, I, I am associating the two together. Oh, it's a really good honey year. And it's a really good berry year because the bees are pollinating the berries and the berries are giving their nectar back to the bees who are then making honey of it. So it's all, I feel like it is all connected. What typically leads to a good honey production year? Weather? Is it weather related? Sometimes it's weather. Yeah. Yep. A lot of the times it's weather and not just, you know, is it sunny versus rainy, but, you know, is it 
an earlier spring? Is it a later spring? You know, there's, there's all of these, just, just like with grape growing, there are things that you want your vineyard to be milestones hitting, you know, at a certain part of the year. And if you get bad weather at a very um, delicate point in year, then you could end up having a bad harvest. And that's sort of the same with, with beekeeping. If it ends up being a bad stretch of weather at the time when all the new queens are trying to go out and get mated, then you might have not such a successful year because those queens won't be able to lay as many good eggs. So it's all connected. So with all your honey this year, you're going to dabble in any mead production? We made some this weekend. It's bubbling mead? away. We made mead. We made mead. We made three Wow. Gallons. See, I knew yep. that was coming. I knew that yep. was coming. It's uh, it's bubbling away in my wine cellar because it's, oh. the, it's the only place with like really nice, consistent <laughs> 68 degrees sitting in my sitting in my wine cellar bubbling away. So, so what, yeah. was, what was the idea with that? You just took the honey, added yeast and letting it sit yeah, there? Yeah. Nothing else. So we had, we had about 10 pounds of honey from last season. So from 2019 that had all crystallized. And so we didn't really want to do anything with it. So we took it and yeah, you just boil it for a few minutes, not very long, I think 15 minutes in a gallon of water. And then uh, we add a little lemon juice and you add yeast and you can choose all different types of yeast. So just like uh, winemaking and the final wine can be impacted quite heavily by the strain of yeast that you use. Uh, The same thing is true for mead and for beer. So we used a, a specific mead yeast for our for our mead sometimes we use champagne yeast sometimes we use some other kinds of yeast that are uh, more meant for wine production and you pitch it in there and three weeks later we'll we'll see how it is so it's it's actually really really simple it's a whole lot simpler to make mead than it is to make beer yeah you say that about everything (laughs) (laughs) i also made some cookies this morning that were a complete failure so you know sometimes things just don't work out i made some cocoa crispies so that's the difference (laughs) that sounds good too yeah. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com and more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. So wine news coming out of Italy as we move into the second half of 2020 and with COVID and new restrictions and people maybe not buying as much wine at restaurants because those restaurants aren't open, there is some concern in the wine world that Italian wines are about to take a bit of a hit and it's going to be a uh, a difficult year for uh, the Italian wine industry for a number of reasons, not just the inability to get those wines sold in restaurants, but global demand being down and not just in the U.S., but tourism, big big problem for Italy right now. And yeah. we were supposed to have a trip to Italy. It didn't happen in April. So hopefully in 2021, we'll be able to do that. They were hit so hard, right, Kim? We, we heard stories right from friends in the area who had family over there and the horror stories at first. It, it, what we're experiencing now, I mean, they, they were hit very hard. So basically yeah. the whole wine industry shut down the tourism shut down mm-hmm. and they were saying about 60% of the export sales are, have fallen down yeah. 60%, which is huge for Italy. Always one of the top few in, in exporting every year. They were talking about how uh, one of the good things from this might be that the sparkling wine production probably won't be hurt because it's not usually exported until the end of the year. There's more 
mm-hmm. uh, consumed towards New Year's and things like that. So they're looking forward to a good sparkling export year, but yeah. everything else is pretty much down. In yeah, sparkling seems to be the one bright spot that, uh, that the Italian wine market has. But I mean, they shuttered wineries for like two months at least in the early spring. So a lot of, especially the smaller producers in Italy, they do a lot of sales right out of their winery. And, and I, I think in the, in the early spring, which be just about the time that they were releasing the new wines from the previous fall for the things that should be drunk, you know, fairly young, it kind of all came to a head all at the same time. And, and no sales were able to take place in, you know, March, April, and into May. So definitely not just on this export level with us here, but on the really micro local level for those producers. Um, they, they're kind of been hit throughout the whole, you know, the, the whole chain. Yeah. Just look, for example, the North End shut down all those little restaurants. They all support the small Italian wineries. They weren't selling anything. They weren't buying anything. In Italy itself, they have these huge, well, I don't want to say expos, right? They have these huge wine yeah. shows that sh- showcase all these winemakers every year. And that's what gets their product out there. And they had to cancel all that stuff this year. So no one from around the world got together to enjoy Italian wine or see what the latest things are. Uh, so the impact down the road is going to be huge in the Italian world. Yeah. And especially, I think, what? and we've spoken about this before with Italian wines, you know, there, there aren't a lot of these name brands that we especially recognize for Italian wines. You know, there are, there are a few, you know, there are the Cabots and there's the Rufinos, there's the Antonori's and things like that. But Italian wine itself is more the brand. So it's like the appellation is more the brand. You know, people view Chianti as a brand, Prosecco as a brand, Montepulciano d'Abruzzo as a brand. So it's harder for consumers, I think, to get those wines from different producers if all they're doing is running in, picking up some favorites, and then running out again. There was a great quote from um, one of these articles. I think it was Catherine Todd's article in Forbes that consumers are buying, not shopping, end quote. And I think that is really, I feel like gets to the heart of what is going on now with, with people buying wine. You know, we're not browsing the aisles. I'm not even browsing the aisles and I love browsing the wine aisle. You know, people have certain things in mind, they go buy what they need and then they're done. So this whole idea of spending some time and talking to a knowledgeable wine person in the store, that's not happening right now. And especially as people buy more online, you know, it's buying, not shopping. So some of these wine brands are going to have to, you know, really be creative in their ways to get their product uh, into the imagination of the wine consumer so that those people will be interested in buying it again. So one of the things I thought was interesting, Kim, back in January, February this year, there was a big push for wine educators in Massachusetts to get promote Italian wines. And there was all these events happening. There was a big Italian tasting. There was a big Italian education event. And the movement, I thought, was really starting to get people to focus on the small guys. Mm-hmm. And then everything happened. So I, I feel now that movement of getting people to acknowledge the Italian wine industry in our area 
has really slowed down because of this. And, and that, that's going to hurt local sales. I mean, this, these articles are about globally, but I can also see the local effect based on what has happened. Right. And that's such a shame too, because so many people have put so much work into trying to get these really fantastic wines into, you know, either into people's shopping carts or into their glasses at a restaurant. And there's a lot of really excellent wine coming out of Italy that a lot of Americans don't know about. And, you know, we talk about education, education all the time, but this really is something that, like you said, you know, is a hand sell. But if people knew about them, would really open up, I think, a whole new world of enjoyment for people, especially when it comes to food and wine. Yeah. So I guess the, the bottom line, my tip to people and our listeners is to seek out some small production Italian wine so you can support the Italian wine industry because they're really going to need it over the next few months. And, and to take a vacation there when, when we are all able to and it is safe. Yeah. That's my plan. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. We enjoy talking every week with you and all the wine subjects of the world. If you'd like to find out more information about our show, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any questions or comments. You can find past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Wine, wine.